Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. We're recording a little bit later than usual on a Monday because Sydney has spent the entire day speaking and writing about Luis Rubiales who has finally, finally resigned as president of the Spanish Football Federation. Tarde y mal. Sid, yeah. uh, as they say in yeah. Spanish. He's, he's gone late and he's gone in a bad way yeah. uh, as well. Um, talk us through, I don't, obviously you don't need to give us uh, what the entirety of the article that you've written today, but talk us through your uh, general feelings on uh, the uh, Luis Ruiales end and uh, how we got to this point. Yeah, well, I mean, the Tadi Mal kind of fits with it, the idea of being late and doing it badly because he was a clogging left-back who would go into tackles like that as well. And that's sort of how he runs his presidency. Um, we have said lots of times before, and, you know, it feels a little bit redundant to go back over everything that's happened over the last two or three weeks, but I think I think in terms of framing it around him, and this is what I've been doing today in a way, is the, is kind of the 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 almost the who he who is he piece. How does this um, how does this kind of conclude his presidency? And I think as we've said lots of times, and we said this before um, this particular story happened, and we even said it at the start of this story before getting into the if you like the the, the deeper elements of it that we've always, I think, had a feeling of him as, even in those moments where we thought he's not that bad, that there was a clumsiness about him, that there was a kind of aggressiveness about him, there was a bravado about him that was problematic. And, and it's curious to think, and, and this is one of the things that I was kind of thinking about today, that after everything that had happened surrounding the women's team, and obviously that's not the only thing that's happened in his presidency, and today I've been writing about his presidency as a whole, not just what's happened with, uh, with Jenny Hermoso, with uh, Jorge Vilda, and with the 15 players that pulled out a year ago, and all of those things, but the whole presidency. It's curious, really, to think that when the final whistle went on the World Cup final, he was in a stronger position as he has ever been in. You know, all of these many, many moments when he could have been pushed... Well, that's probably what led to this act of enormous hubris. Quite it? possibly. Him. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely right. I, I think, I think that, 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 that's true. And hold on a moment while I make a note of this, just to squeeze this into the article, because that specific point I didn't make, although, although I, I, I hinted at it because I was talking about this idea of the elation kind of exposed him. The elation kind of put him, put him back in the, in the firing line, if you like. Because 
when they win the World Cup final, when that final whistle goes, he's in as strong a position as I think he'd ever been in. There'd been lots of attempts to, to push him out. He's talked a lot over the last couple of weeks about, about having enemies. And actually, he's right. He does have enemies. He talks in this current statement about what, what he describes as poderes facticos, which means not the official power, but if you like, the kind of the hidden power, the real power. Uh, and that those, some of those poderes facticos are lined up against him. And again, he's basically right but of course what he's done is 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 create the conditions in which it was in the end it was easy for them to to come and get him but he'd he'd survived so many of these things Uh, and after that final he's in a really strong position even with the argument about the women's team because of course at that point on the face of it and in in terms of a public facing image of him he could say look we resisted calls to make changes in terms of Jorge Villa and we've just won the World Cup and this vindicates us. Instead what happens is in that moment of elation and in that moment in which he exposes himself he goes and behaves in a way that kind of forces us to and enables us to redraw the portrait of him, redraw our our impression of him and which vindicates a, a lot of the points that would be made by those women's players by the by that uh, sorry by those, that women's national team by those players and and actually he kind of exposes himself at precisely the point when he should have been in a good position he kind of ruins it all uh, for himself by the way I mean because obviously there's a far broader question about what this all means for the federation and for women's football there is there is and we've been obviously speaking about this in depth for the last uh, few weeks we will continue to talk about uh, the fallout from this. We're... What's the next step, Sid? Where do we go from here? Who's going to be president? How long are they going to be president for? Are there going to be elections? Well, so this is the situation. The situation essentially is you have um, now there will be elections. The question now is is about the timing of them. And the question now is about whether they become interim elections to bring in an interim president or whether they become permanent ones and, and how that process is managed. Now, one of the things that's important in this and one of the reasons why he's finally gone now is because of the way the rules are set up in terms of having a president in place in time for the Olympics of all sporting institutions in Spain. And so there was pressure on them for this to happen sooner. And essentially the reason why Rubiales has finally gone and he makes this point in his statement, and I think it's the point where he's telling the most truth in all of these things that he said, is that essentially had he not gone, the damage to Spain's Olympic bid, which of course is his legacy, it's his project. World it's Cup his bid. bid. Sorry, World Cup bid would have been, I think, irreversible. He's essentially been told, and pardon my French, listen, if you don't go now, you really screwed this. You know, this thing is absolutely ruined. Okay. Um, Well, he has gone, and we'll see whether or not it it is completely ruined or not. And we'll see whether or not... Are the women's players going to play? Are the team going to come back now? Uh, Honestly, I don't know the answer to that. My, my, My guess is that they... They will. Like at the de hoy, at the moment, they haven't at the yet. moment, if 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 there was a a squad that had to be picked today or tonight, none of them are available. Yeah. None of them have made themselves available I, for selection. And bear in mind, we're not that far off that because I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's Friday that that squad has to be announced. Yes. And that squad has to yeah, be announced um, yeah. because that is for two games that will decide whether or not they go to the Olympics. In other words, we could be in a situation if they weren't to go, we would be in a situation in which the World Cup winners would not be at the next Olympics. Now, is the Olympics the be-all and end-all for football? No, but it's significant and it matters. Now, I would guess that they will, if only because if you're talking about demanding changes and some of the initial 15 players, well, three of them, 
Uh, more than three made themselves available by the way for the World Cup. But three of the 15 went to the World Cup. Some of the things that were demanded um, were, were put in place. Some of the improvements were put in place. If on top of that, you have got a new coach, a new coach who backed the players who spoke out this time, the 81, who did the Seacabo um, statement, a female coach, and the president of the federation has gone. Even if you don't have a huge amount of trust in the interim president of the federation, the changes you demand actually can't happen any quicker, if you sort of mean. Now, they could have happened quicker in terms of Rubiales because he could have gone three weeks ago. But the current body that's left in place didn't control that. In fact, there were parts, uh, there were the territorial presidents of the, by which I mean the regional presidents of the federation, had tried to get Rubiales to go earlier. And there is an argument here, and I think it would be fair to make it, that it was FIFA that forced Rubiales rather than the Federation itself. But the Federation did try. The government did try. Spanish society did try. The players did try. I wonder if some of Rubiales' friends also tried, if some of his family also tried, albeit his mum went on a hunger strike on his behalf. And so there's a bit of me that looks at it and thinks that from the perspective of those players, and I, I, I can't presume to speak for them, but that looking at it, I would say from their point of view, if only as an act of good faith at this point in terms of saying, okay, we're going to trust that this will be moved on, quite a lot has already happened. Quite a lot has already moved. And this does feel, and we've talked about this before, like a point uh, of no return, like that this is a step towards something else, like the Federation can't go back now, if only because of the social pressure. The Federation has to be seen to be forcing um, those changes through, to be taking women's football seriously, to be funding it in the way that they want, to be giving them the, the degree of expertise in terms of additional coaching staff, in terms of nutritionists. All of these, some of these things, by the way, had already been done. And actually, Jorge Vilda said this in his departure statement. Now, I don't want to... Uh, in, kind of imbue Vilda now with the with the status of the man who's telling the truth because of course we know that, that there are a lot of people who, who a lot of those players were not happy with him but what he said about look at the number of coaching staff which got had gone from I think he said four of us to 14 um, that the staff we took to the World Cup which was different that the chartering of flights was different that some of those things that were done to use Alexia Puteas's, um uh, statement when she was talking about the things we're demanding were essentially to allow us to be footballers all the time and nothing else and not worry about those other things. Some of those things have been done and the removal of a manager that created disharmony, uh, a manager that the players didn't trust in, a manager who the players saw as a symbol, if you like, of, of, of um, I guess nepotism is the word. I don't know if it's quite the right word, but you know, someone who, who's in place because he's um, sort of owes his position to Rubiales. The removal of him and the removal of his boss and the fact that there's a social pressure now for the Federation to continue changing, I feel like surely puts them in a position where I would, I, I, I would imagine, uh, again, I don't want to speak for them, puts them in a position where they must now believe that, OK, we can go back, pending, obviously, this being followed through now. All right, uh, let's move on and talk about the uh, Spain national team, the men's Spain national team, who uh, had a, a really quite important European qualifier against Georgia on Friday evening. And there was a huge amount of pressure on Luis de la Fuente after 
his applauding of Luis Reviales, which left him very, very questioned. They'd also been beaten by Scotland in Euro qualifying to leave them in a not the best position in the group. Despite winning the Nations League, obviously, he was under pressure coming into this game. There was massive pressure for all sorts of reasons. And they won 7-1 against Georgia in the absolutely pouring rain in Tbilisi. But this was an extremely impressive performance from Spain. Genuinely, they were absolutely superb in the first half. Uh, and the real headline, I guess, being the uh, score of the seventh goal, Lamine Yamal. Yes, Lamine Yamal making his debut with the Spain national team, becoming the youngest player ever to Spain, play for Spain, becoming the uh, youngest ever uh, international scorer, certainly in the last uh, hundred odd years or so in, uh, in, 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 in Europe. And a very impressive performance and, and, and goal from him as well. Um, some other things to you know, uh, pick out. The uh, hat-trick from Alvaro Morata, really good performance. And a goal from Fabian Ruiz, who wasn't necessarily expected uh, to start. Nico Williams uh, coming on with uh, Lamin Yamal in the second half and, and scoring a well-taken goal and generally looking very dangerous down the left-hand side. So overall... Uh, Tremendously positive evening for uh, Spain in a game that was billed, Sydney, really quite seriously as a potential banana skin. Yeah, and uh, I will admit publicly that we we thought there was a good chance that Spain blew it. That there was a good yeah. chance that in this game, that given all the pressure, and I think I think the pressure it's worth putting the pressure into context. So the the, the Spain men's team read out a statement. Um, before when they when they got together, they they read out a statement essentially around the Rubiales thing, um, denouncing his behaviour, saying they supported the women. But it was a slightly lukewarm statement. It it wasn't it wasn't kind of a really determined stand, if you like. It was it was a sense that we we have to speak, we have to say something. Here's a statement. What came out over the next couple of days, uh, and, and obviously it was, it was, I think, probably expressed best or, or, or exposed best, if you like, by, by Danny Carver-Howe's comments on, I can't remember which radio station it was, he was talking to now, uh, in which he, he sort of said, that's right, in, 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 in which he kind of said, you know, we, we, there's, there's got to be the presumption of innocence. And, and I, I understood that point, but the way he said it was incredibly clumsy, I thought. And, and he sort of said, you know, Jenny's not going for a good time. I imagine Ruby Alice isn't either. Uh, it was, and, and that kind of created a backlash. But what that did, I think, in terms of the Spanish national team's performance, is it, is it underlined that actually that statement that the men's team um, put their names to was more difficult than it appeared. You know, there was a difference of opinion internally about what they should say, that they were put in a position that actually was hard and it appeared. Because on the face of it, to be honest with you, I don't know about you, when I heard that statement, I thought, well, that's a bit lukewarm. And let's face it, it you know, it's kind of been bashed out to, to, to be able to say, right, leave us alone now and let us get on with it. And actually, I think what we saw with Carvajal and a couple of other comments that then came out afterwards from other players was that this had been quite difficult. And that there had been some players who would have liked to have gone a lot further. And some players who, frankly, would have rather not done a statement at all. And that there was this degree of tension, and there was tension surrounding that. There was tension surrounding Luis de la Fuente, who was in that position, of course, where not only is he the other national team coach, after Villa had been sacked, the national team coach that everybody knows owes his post to Rubiales, and under a different president, possibly he wouldn't have got this job. And not only that, of course, the context of him being one of the ones that applauded during Rubiales' speech at the Assembly. And so I think there was this kind of environment around this call-up that sort of said, you're in a hiding to nothing here. 
Now, this could go wrong. And then if you add to that the comedy element to it, and I, I don't mean to make light of everything else, but it sort of it all fits together in a kind of comedy element that goes with it. The fact that they turned up and they forgot their bloody boots. You know, they, they, they arrive in Tbilisi and, and someone goes, ah, oh, that big crate with all the players' boots in it. Someone goes back. They have to charter a flight to get the boots over there to them. They don't do the pre-game training session the night before, at least not properly. They do it in trainers. Uh, they don't kick a ball around. They do some stretching, a little bit of a little bit running and stuff. And then they go, and as you say, they go and play really, really well. And that first half, do you know what most struck me in about the first half? What's that? The, um, what, what do you call it? Senia de identidad. I suppose the identifying factors, the identifying elements um, of, in particular, how high Spain played, how much they kind of kept Georgia inside pretty much their own area, not just their own half how they were winning the ball back really, really quickly, how it felt coordinated. It felt like a collective effort. It's true that, that it took a while for them to get the goal. So they won the up with, what, three minutes to go to a half-time and then they get three more very, very quickly. Um, but I thought, I thought they were... Yeah, I agree with you. I thought they were very, very good indeed. Very, very good indeed. Obviously, it's going to be a much tougher test uh, when they play Cyprus at home tomorrow night in, uh, in Granada. You know, it's a, it's, it's a big one. A uh, real, real test for uh, Luis de la Fuente and his. Uh, and now, obviously, they've got to beat Cyprus. Cyprus lost every game, and uh, Spain should should win comfortably. They are <clears throat> uh, nine points behind Scotland, uh, who have won five out of five. Obviously, Spain have only played two. Have uh, only played mm-hmm. three. They've won two, and they and they lost to Scotland. I'm not sure anyone saw Scotland being the runaway leaders. Uh, in this group, and Scott McTominay being the top scorer in, uh, in Euro qualifying. But anyway, uh, Spain should be able to to qualify, and uh, they should be able to, if they uh, win the next couple of games uh, against uh, Cyprus, and then is it against Norway uh, again? Yeah, and Norway's the big one, because of course Norway is the team that, that potentially could be a problem in terms of getting out the group, because obviously... Well, listen, if, if, the they, group, if, right, if they win their next... Uh, it's Cyprus, Scotland... And then Norway, obviously Scotland and Norway in the next uh, international break. Win those, they've got a really good chance of finishing top. I think so. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's and, not and for what it's worth, I mean, I don't, I don't want to sort of dismiss the whole European qualifying process, but I'm about to dismiss the whole European qualifying process. Two teams get out of this group, yes, and even the third gets a chance in a playoff. Is so there, I mean, if Spain, if Spain were there's there's a there's a kind of a mix up of third place is finishes there? isn't there? Uh-huh. Yeah, I, 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 I think right. so. Although I must confess, you've made me doubt now, but I'm pretty sure I was looking at this the other day. Right. And so so if they don't get there, right, it's an almighty cock up, and it really shouldn't happen. It really shouldn't happen. No. Okay. Um, so let's see how Spain get on against uh, Cyprus in uh, Luis Luis Rubiales home province of uh, of Granada. Yeah. On uh, on Do you Tuesday. think you'll go? I do not. No, I think he will not and should not go. Just keep a keep a low profile now, Luis. You know, uh, head down. It's not. Uh, it's not know. really his thing, is it? After I mean, doing you were an interview with, uh, with Piers Morgan. Yeah. 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 yeah well, you, you were asking me. I'm sorry to go back to it, but you were asking me sort of about what I was writing about today. It was that kind of idea of his personality in the end being what betrayed him? Mm. Um, you know, and, and and that's that's kind of it. And there is something sort of kind of ironic or fitting or appropriate about it ending this way with him doing an interview with Piers Morgan. It's sort of all, yes. the whole kind of bizarre, surreal thing 
has kind of wrapped up the right way, hasn't it? Yes. Well, the wrong way. Well, the right way, the wrong way. I don't know, but it's wrapped up in a way that feels sort of weirdly appropriate. Uh, weirdly appropriate, absolutely. Uh, let's move on and uh, talk about the first managerial casualty of the season in La Liga. This news broke last week on Tuesday that Villarreal had sacked Kike Setien. Uh, we spoke a little bit about it over uh, on patreon.com forward slash TSFP for our Patrons who get lots of extra content for only around four euros a month, I wholeheartedly suggest you come and join us and become a patron. But we did discuss this a little bit. Uh, what we didn't discuss was uh, who's uh, taken over from uh, Kike Setien, and that is Pacheta, the former manager of uh, Valladolid uh, and uh, Elche, got promoted to La Liga with both of those two sides. So he's got uh, plenty of pedigree in achieving impressive things with Spanish football. He's never been in charge of a side that have got top four aspirations and he's never taken charge of, of a European game. So it's uh, it's quite a quite a challenge for uh, Pacheta and quite an interesting appointment for Villarreal, who were uh, reportedly uh, trying to secure the services of Raul González, the Real Madrid legendary striker, currently manager of Real Madrid Castilla, their B team, the club, Real Madrid themselves, reportedly giving him the green light to move, but he decided to stay in the Spanish capital for whatever reason, <clears throat> one of them potentially being that there might be a uh, vacancy in the uh, Bernabeu hot seat uh, sooner rather than later, and maybe he thinks he's well-placed for that. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about Pacheta in just a second, Sydney. Uh, we just want to get your thoughts on, on Kike Setien's tenure at, at Villarreal. Like I said, we touched upon it for patrons, but here on the Monday pod, it's, it's worth reflecting on what was a rather... Up and down, 31 game in charge for uh, Kike Setien. Never really had the uh, consistency. Never really felt like he, he'd won the dressing room entirely over either. No, and it, it's really difficult to kind of offer a short judgment on his time, except to, except to say it was strange. Because as we, 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 we mentioned this, uh, and then we mentioned the fact that we mentioned it, so apologies for the third mention the same thing, but I think it's a nice way of framing it. But we were asked about this in a Q&A podcast uh, a week ago. In fact, in fact the, day, the day it happened. Yes. Um, and, and so, so it kind of it was, it was prescient, the question, about, you know, is he close to being, this, to being sacked? And we sort of said, well, it, I think the answer was, if not just yet, which obviously we were proven wrong on, but we're sort of right. And then we said, but it feels like three or four bad games and he will be, but then three or four good games and we'll forget all about the pressure again. And he's sort of been like that all the way through his time, that there'd be this little run that was bad and you think, oh, there's no way he survives this. Then there'd be a run that was good and you think, okay, he's all right. And then there would be a kind of a doubt creep in again. I mean, you know, it's only, you know, it's only, what is it, a week, two weeks since they, since they played really, really well against... Uh, my mind's gone Barcelona. Bang. Barcelona, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I was trying to remember if it was Barcelona or Real Madrid, and for some reason I couldn't couldn't dredge into my mind which of those two it was. And they played really well against Real Madrid last year. In fact, beat Real Madrid three two at the Bernabeu under Kike Setien. And after that game, you kind of felt like that was set. That game was Setien and Villarreal in a nutshell, and they were brilliant for about an hour, and then sort of contrived to collapse a little bit and to be caught out. And once once Barcelona had got level again, you sort of knew that they weren't going to win. Um, and and you're right. I think the 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 eye, the, the sort of the sense that he just didn't quite work with the dressing room. That if the support had come from the president on behalf of the manager, that maybe it would have been resolved in a different direction. In other words, with you know the support to kind of remove certain players, but instead it worked this way round, which tends to be the way. Partly, if only because of numbers, 
Um, you know, you're talking about one manager against, not necessarily against 25 players, but you've got a lot of players to change and only one person to change if you change the manager. A president that maybe isn't entirely convinced either and a coach who's so wedded to a particular idea that any kind of deviation from that idea becomes problematic, if you see what I mean. And, um, and I think in the end, and I think in the end, basically, it just kind of wasn't quite right. But I never really thought it was that bad either. I never really thought it was wrong. It just wasn't quite right. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Kika Sitian's Instagram account. I haven't, actually. I don't have Instagram. So, unfortunately, no, I haven't. You're still able to go on it, even if you don't. Yeah, I know, I know, and every now and again I do, but then I realise that to go actually go for it properly, I've got then got to sign up, and I never get round to it. Uh, it's been a little bit neglected, I think it's fair to say. Uh, although he did post an open letter uh, to the uh, Villarreal fans, uh, explaining a little bit why he'd left. Uh, that was his fifth post uh, on his Instagram account ever. Uh, the first in three and a half years, and his Instagram biography, uh, the bio says. El mejor camino para llegar a la victoria es hacer bien las cosas. Mm -hmm. The best way to achieve a victory is to do things the right way. Nothing else. So that just gives you a small idea into his, into his mindset. Yeah. He's very yeah. clear. He's got this way of doing things and it's the right way of doing things. And ultimately, if you're allowed to buy into his methodology, it will bring success. He also, in this open letter, made reference to something that he'd Previous said, previously said, and he said, Siempre dije que para hacer las cosas que te tienes, para hacer lo que quieres, te tienes que comprar un club. Yeah. Y este no es mi. Uh, to do what you want to do, you have to buy a club, and this is not my club. Uh, making allusions to the fact that he was not allowed to yeah. do exactly what he wanted to. Wouldn't be the first manager with uh, those grievances. To be fair to Kike Setien, I think two of the Two of the most important players to him uh, last season were sold this summer in Samuel Chukwete, who had absolutely become a really, really fundamental player for him. And Nicholas Jackson as well, who ended the season in such extraordinary form. Two players who had developed under Kike Setien, who had massively improved under Kike Setien and who clearly understood what was required of them. They, they left. Um, so I guess those are mitigating circumstances. Yeah. And then we had the, uh, the absolutely appalling... Uh, pre-season that they had with some really catastrophic results and uh, three points from a possible 12 at the start of this season. So, Kike Setien uh, has left and the new man in charge is someone who I think we're all rooting for yeah. in Pacheta simply because he's he's so earnest, Sid. He's so earnest, he's so honest, he wears his heart on his sleeve, he's expressive, he's emotional. He's someone that it's very difficult, to, very difficult not to like and not to warm to. I think he's great. I really like him, yeah. Um, I, I'd like to point out here that you described him as a former Elche manager, and I can't remember you mentioned some other teams as well. I will point out that he's also a former Real of the other manager. Yeah, OK, a yeah. long time ago. A long time ago. <laughs> I, I, was, yes. I was actually hoping that he might go back to Real of the one day. But anyway, um, I, 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 I don't raise that just for the... Don't wish that on him. I yeah. thought you said you liked him. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, 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 I don't raise that, by the way, just for, for the sake of being gratuitous. Um, although, obviously, the bit of gratuitous bias is always a good thing. I actually genuinely raise that because, obviously, I know a lot of people from Oviedo who were there when he was there, and they could not speak more highly of him. You know, for, for all of those things that you were talking about, and, you know, this is not the public persona. This is them talking about him as the person that they worked with every day, as the person that they dealt with. And absolutely everything you say, they would confirm that he's genuine, that he's honest, 
that he's human, that he cares, that there's a sense of perspective, but at the same time, an awareness that you can't have a sense of perspective in that, you know, football has to be the be all and end all. But actually one of the best ways of dealing with football is to try and remove some of that pressure, to try and smooth some of those rough edges. Um, I think it, it probably is fair to say that there, there are one or two, uh, there might be one or two doubts about this level for Villarreal, as you say. But then I was, I was thinking as you were talking about, I was thinking this is what we said about Mendeleeva and it turned out very nicely. Yes. Um, yes. And that maybe given better resources, he will be an even better manager. Logic suggests he would be, although some managers obviously succeed better in certain scenarios. I think one of the things that is worth pointing out, remember that the end uh, came for him at Viadolith after conceding six at the Bernabeu. And partly, I don't want to overplay this and, and I'm, I'm conscious that there's a risk of overplaying this. So So please kind of, if you like, soften what I'm about to say on my behalf. Part of that was a desire to play good football, was a desire to go and attack teams, was a desire occasionally to try and make things happen. And the reason I say I don't want to overplay this is because I watched plenty of Viadolith games that were pretty dull as well. I'm not going to claim they were always wonderful to watch. But there was, I think, a willingness to try and play, um, which, of course, when results go against you and you're a small club, tends to rebound against you. Because people tend to say, look at you, you're naive, you can't play like this and all the rest of it. Again, yes. I think calling him naive would be overplaying. I think he was more nuanced than that. Um, but I'd be very, very interested to see him at a club with really good footballers. Um, to see him in an environment in which, in which that connection with the dressing room, particularly if, as we believe is the case, that's part of the problem with, with, with Kike Setien. Maybe that gives him actually a better chance that he goes into a dressing room, if you like, that kind of wants to like the manager because it wasn't sure about yes. the last one. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So may, may, maybe the timing is, is good as well. Um, and yeah, I, I, I would very much like him to do well because A, Villarreal is a club that I think, I think most of us feel is quite a likeable club with some very likeable players. Um, but also because he, he comes across Pacheta as a manager who's done things the hard way, um, who hasn't been kind of, if you like, given media backing, although actually it is true that after over the last couple of years, because of his personality, the media has tended to like him and has tended to express that and has tended to celebrate some of the things he said. For example, the time when he told all his players, and forgive me because I can't remember who it was at Viadolith, yes, you definitely should miss these weekend's games because your wife's about to give birth. You definitely should be at the birth. It is your son. It is the most important thing. And actually that could have been used as a stick to beat him with, but the exact opposite happened. And, and yeah, I'd like him. I'd, I'd like him. I'd really quite like him to do well. Uh, first game for him in charge uh, is on Sunday and he couldn't have handpicked a better game. They're at home to Almeria. Almeria are the team with the worst away record in La Liga uh, last season. Only one win in their last 20 away games. So let's see if Villarreal get off to a, a winning start under uh, Pacheta. Uh, before we go, uh, we should mention obviously the uh, big storyline from the weekend was the Asturian derby in the Segunda División where I think on our bonus podcast last week for the patrons I suggested to you it's going to be nil-nil Sid and you said no 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 these uh, Oviedo got a really good record in this game recently and it duly turned out to be nil-nil. Only one one shot on target in the entire game and that was Sporting's not Oviedo. Um, Oviedo are the team with the fewest shots on target and maybe even the fewest shots full stop in the second division the whole of the season so far. Um, it's not as bad as it might be because there have been three draws, but it doesn't look good, to be perfectly honest with you. It really doesn't look good. Bottom of the table. Let's see if uh, if Oviedo can uh, can move their way uh, up. Uh, before we go, this is a look at what's coming up uh, in La Liga when it returns uh, this weekend. On Friday, you've got Rai Vallecano against Alaves. I'll be heading to 
the magnificent Estadio de Vallecas, will you, Sydney? I certainly will. Well, I'll see you there, my friend. Then on Saturday, Absolutely. we've got Athletic Club against Cadiz, Valencia against Atletico Madrid, Celta against Mallorca, and oof, Barcelona against Betis is uh, usually a good game. And then on Sunday, I assume you'll be heading to Getafe for the visit of Osasuna? Uh, well, I think so. Although the, the Pacheta what? news has made me waver and wonder if maybe I should actually go down to the East Coast instead. Maybe you should go to Villarreal against Almeria, Sevilla against Las Palmas. Haven't you got to be back for Real Madrid against Real Sociedad, Sydney? Uh, well, I could be back for it and go, but I don't think I'm in an obli- obligation to be at it from a work point of view. So, so that's oh, why I'm, okay. I'm down. So, so I suppose this is a question for our listeners. Getafe yes. against Osasuna and Real Madrid against Real Sociedad or head to the East Coast for Villarreal and Pacheta. Uh, let us know, uh, or tweet us, or if you're on the Discord uh, for the patrons, uh, tell us uh, on the Discord, or uh, yeah, just let us know what Sydney should do. Uh, your decision won't be binding, but it will be taken into consideration. And we've also got Severe against Las Palmas on Sunday as well, and then on Monday it's Granada against Girona. Uh, that's it for this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. Thanks very much for listening. If, you, if you'd like to ask us a question, please do so. We'll answer it on tomorrow's Q&A pod. We've got a bonus pod coming up uh, as well. Patrons got the uh, uh, first episode of Rincón Cultural uh, last week, which is our uh, discussion about life in Spain as well. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, come and join us. Patreon.com forward slash TSFP. It's around four euros a month. And if you really don't want to do that, it's okay. We will not hold it against you. What we will do is do another podcast for you next Monday. Adios. Cheerio. Network.